to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Sean Blankenship, Chief Marketing Officer with Coldwell Banker Real Estate. Sean joined Coldwell Banker back in June of 2013 and has nearly 20 years of marketing and executive management experience with prestigious companies such as Toyota and Nissan, as well as iCrossing. Sean is a graduate of California State University at Fullerton, has an MBA from the University of Phoenix, and is a licensed realtor. And he joins us today to discuss Coldwell Banker's new CBX application, which promises to bring big data to the kitchen table to empower both buyers and sellers. Now, let's welcome Sean to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. I'm very happy to have Sean as a guest for a multitude of reasons, but one of the things that I think really makes Sean stand out um, is that he has a real estate license. So uh, all too often we are interviewing folks that um, are in similar positions as Sean, but have never sold real estate before. And I think it's always great when we run across someone like Sean who's got a real estate license, but also is in one of the upper echelons of um, the real estate world as far as our industry and a true leadership position. So Sean, I really appreciate your time today and I appreciate you being on our radio show. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Sure, it's my pleasure. So, Sean, let's start out um, about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your current role with Caldwell Banker? Well, there's a lot. I, I sort of cut my teeth uh, early on um, in sort of the uh, business slash technology field. We used to call it e-business. So I've always sort of uh, gravitated towards the technology side of sales and marketing. Um, spent most of my career on the automotive side, um, working with franchisees. Um, and it's a very similar, there's a lot of parallels. And um, when I got the call from Colwell Banker, um, one, it was, it was an interesting uh, opportunity to switch industries, if you will. But when I looked at the parallels and I looked at sort of the uh, evolution of where the real estate industry is as a whole right now, I felt there was a lot of opportunity to apply the skills and the things that I have done uh, on the auto side to this industry. So that's kind of the transition, and that's what was exciting about it. Well, you're going to get me going down a whole rabbit hole with that, because what you're saying is really fascinating. So I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying from what you saw, the sort of technological evolution on the automotive side, you're saying that there, you're seeing those similar type things happening or should be happening on the real estate side. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. I'm often accused, and I try to minimize it, of talking and using car, car analogies here at Colwell Banker. So, so uh, my team laughs at me, but... For instance, when you look at, I'll just the, the the easiest one, Tim, is to is to point out the aggregators. If you look at the auto industry, we dealt with the aggregators, and we we um, saw the aggregators come into the space around 2000 2001, and the real estate industry really started seeing the aggregators around 2007 2008. So, in, in a lot of sense, there's about a six to seven year lag between what happened in the auto space and what's happening in the in the real estate space. That's fascinating. I've never heard that before. And by aggregators, you mean, in essence, the big portals and other places where, that are gathering information that are making it uh, consumer-friendly as much as they can. That's what we're describing, right? That is correct, 100%. Okay. 
That's interesting, the six to seven th- year thing. So, well, I, I got a great question then. So what do you see happening six to seven years from now that uh, the real estate industry needs to be prepared for that you're seeing happening on the automotive side? Well, um, if, if, if things hold true, uh, as they did in the auto industry, there's the initial wave of anxiety about um, the aggregators getting uh, more, not so much a, a media play, but getting more involved in the transaction. And that certainly happened in the auto industry. And then, uh, you know, it kind of went away. There was a big uproar when the automotive dealers um, started seeing pricing and and invoices of automobiles on the web. And Ford Direct popped its head up and then went away, trying to sell cars directly from the Internet. So there was a lot of the same anxiety, a lot of the same um, uh, similarities. And I think right now when you look at the aggregators, um, especially since they've gone public, to specifically Zillow, let's just use Zillow as an example. Um, once they they sort of hit this peak of selling all the ad space that they can sell, where are they going to find their new revenue drivers um, to please the shareholders? And I think that's where we keep our eye out to see, okay, are they truly a media company and or are they going to start trying to get involved in the transaction? So, so I think are they? very similar. Yeah. Well, Sean, but are they truly a media company? Well, I mean, so like just tying this in, you know, TrueCar.com, for example. I um, watched an interview with that guy the other day on CNBC. And I didn't know this, but they do get a piece of the transaction when a car is sold, where I guess the lead is initiated off their website. Now, that's something in the in, on the real estate side of things that um, I have had other people in similar positions as you uh, promise me that if Zillow and Trulia and even Realtor.com decides to start trying to sell listing referrals specifically – I've had you know executives tell me that that will be the true line in the sand. And do you have any uh, thoughts or opinions on that? You know, I, I I I certainly could give you some opinions, and I don't know if they would be representative of uh, you know all of the executive leadership team in this building. You know, um, I think that there's always that possibility. Drawing lines in the sand is not something that you know. You know, I don't know if that's a healthy mentality. Um, but I think there's a natural place for aggregators. As consumers, we like to have um, options. We like to have choice. I think our focus is more about um, making sure that we have the the most robust and most authentic data, whether it be for a listing or for our network, our agents, for consumers. So once they do their sort of uh, upper funnel shopping, um, the place that they will find both the content as well as the the, the quality service will be a Coal Banker. That's fascinating. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So in essence, the people might start their search on one of these aggregator type sites, but as they're as they're essentially becoming a better quality lead, just to keep it in sales terms, then they're going right. to find a Coldwell Banker site and realize that the content you guys are providing is so much better, and that, in essence, will create a lead for one of your agents opposed to having it come from a third party. Am I, am I putting the pieces together here? Yes, you are. Absolutely. Okay. Well, All right. Well so, good. Thank you. So, Caldwell Banker is owned by Realogy, which also owns Century 21, Better Homes and Gardens, Sotheby's, and several, I mean, I'm, <laughs> with maybe a couple of exceptions, you guys own probably the best brands that there are, real estate brands there are in the world. Um, what differ, how would you differentiate Caldwell Banker from these other franchises? Well, I, you know, I certainly we have we're the, you know, we have the heritage since 1906. So you look at 100 year, 108 years. There's not many brands around. Forget real estate that that can say that. 
Um, we are, from a scale standpoint, one of the largest. And if you look at our average sales price or where we transact in the marketplace, we are a premium brand. And, and that's not to say that there aren't others that are doing a fantastic job. They just might not be suited um, or positioned in the marketplace the same as Cobalt Banker. They, they might be um, differentiating them, themselves differently. So um, we really look at um, the, the scale. You know, we're in 43 countries. Um, we have roughly 87,000 uh, agents associated, associated with Cobalt Banker across uh, the globe. Um, and we really try to stay as a premium brand. We try and push the envelope on innovation. We look at innovation starting from the beginning. Uh, we, we have a mantra that we say we are the original real estate startup company out of Silicon Valley with our founder, who was 24-year-old, Cobra Cobalt at the time. And we, that is the, the lens, that is the filter that we put everything through internally. So that's really our position. Um, versus the other brands in the building, and, and for that matter, other brands outside the building. I wrote this question down. Actually, I'm writing it down right now. Tech-wise, based on what, you, yeah. what you're thinking, you're obviously somebody who has a – I'm just getting this impression of you. You're obviously looking at this industry from the outside in, which is what this industry really needs, because so many of us in this space have been in the space forever that we're very myopic. Myopic. We don't see really what's going on around us in terms of evolution. So technology-wise – what do consumers want right now that they're not getting? I mean, with such a plethora of information out there, uh, I'm sure everyone would agree there's almost too much information out there, a lot of misinformation out there. What is it that they want that they're not getting? I mean, where is the next wave of um, evolution going to come from from a technological perspective? Great, great question. I have so many answers that are not technology-based, but we'll stick with that. Um, and, either way, you know, Sean, I, either way. Either way, however you want to answer it. Well, I, I think the, the more local we can be um, with our both our, our, our information and the experience we provide from our agents, the better. Um, and the more dynamic or real-time that we can be with our information, I think, is absolutely critical. I think one of the things, even when I look at my personal experience, Tim, um, I, I moved around a lot. I've personally sold uh, eight, eight homes, myself, my wife and I. Um, and I look over the last 20 years, and the, the sort of the evolution of the kitchen table conversation really ha hasn't moved. Um, mm -hmm. And what I have found uh, from looking from the outside in is that kitchen table conversation should be much more dynamic. It should be much more transparent, um, and it should incorporate real-time data. Why, why does it have to be a static snapshot of history with a layer of trust me, I know what I'm doing. It, it should be there should be it should be more collaborative, more transparent, and really bring a lot of uh, quote unquote big data to that conversation that I think ultimately will instill confidence in a potential seller and really move the industry further. So you said sitting at the kitchen table, the conversation hasn't changed, and, and there's yeah. no doubt that's true. It's basically the same hopes, fears, concerns, the whole nine yards. Um, yeah. Ten years ago, I mean, I'm going to tie your automotive background back in because I think that's an analogy that kind of people can they can understand. Right. So ten years ago, the buy, the car buying experience was I just bought my mom a new car, okay? And here's here's my total experience. I emailed three dealers. The first one, I already knew what the price was going to be that I was willing to pay. Uh, I already knew what the holdback was. I knew what the profit the dealer was going to make. 
Uh, no problem with the dealer making profit. I emailed him. It was an all-cash transaction. And literally, I sent all the emails, the exact same email to three different dealerships, and whichever one got back to me first was the one that got the business. He emailed me back, and I said to him, you have to do the following. You have to deliver the car. You have to come out, You know, basically do everything at our kitchen table, paperwork-wise. The guy said, no problem. And it was basically the next day, and everything was done. Super simple transaction. Versus, say, 10 years ago, wouldn't it wouldn't have been like that. It would have been, you know, the usual typical car buying experience where it's just uncomfortable and it's basically a waste of the day. So I can see how that space has evolved. That makes sense to me. So if we're agreeing that, um, and I think it's, I'm going to be really thinking about what you said, the fact that the automotive industry marketing-wise, technological, technologically-wise, is six to seven years ahead of the real estate industry. That's very fascinating to me. So what is it that that, what is it? The kitchen table conversation, how's that going to change? And this is a good pivot to talk about the new product, too. Right, right. Well, the analogy you use um, actually is a good one in the sense that the automotive industry has, um, let's say cl it's closer to a commodity. And really what matters, I think, to people nowadays, knowing that there's so much transparency on the automotive side, um, is the relationship with the, with the dealer when it comes to servicing the vehicle. How close is the dealer to where I live or where I work? And... You know, do, is it a friendly environment? Is it a place that I like doing business with? Um, which is not, is, which is not too similar to, to the real estate industry other than the fact that I think from a resale standpoint, homes are, are very unique. Each, each home uh, has a different story to tell. Each neighborhood has a different story to tell. And I think that's where it's uh, more important um, than ever to have the technology, the data, and the mobility for our agents um, to meet with customers and to talk about the nuances of a, let's say, a property and or a neighborhood. Um, and that ties into the local aspect of what I said. Um, there, you know, looking at comps on a piece of paper for the last 12 months in a neighborhood um, is one thing. But sitting down, uh, whether it's a computer or using an iPad, and not just looking at comps, but looking at um, buyer information for a zip code or a neighborhood, looking at employment information for a zip code or a neighborhood, looking at different trends that are taking place within a marketplace or a neighborhood. I think that, um, that opens up a whole world of opportunity and certainly provides, I think, a level of confidence if you're, if you're a seller in the person that you're speaking with and the agent that you're speaking with. Okay, so, so let, me, let me tie this together because I love what you're saying. I think I understand. So right. the fungibility, the fungibility in, of the consumer's perception that realtors are essentially interchangeable, that exists. There's, we can't really debate that. For the most part, people see real, real estate agents as commodities. Again, I'm going to be the, you know, tying it back into the car thing since I just had that experience. Uh, the fungibility of the car, the, the, you know, the, a car is a car. It didn't matter what dealership I got it from. We're kind of on the... I think, think perception-wise, the same difference. And you said that the way that the car dealers were overcoming that is by making sure the consumer on-site experience, that's where they could actually compete. The service experience, the actual overall experience was where they could differentiate themselves since they knew at the end of the day the price competition thing was a no-win game. You're saying to me, I think, that the way that you're differentiating Coldwell Banker agents is by giving them this information that when they're in front of those sellers – or buyers for that matter, I'm sure this information is also you know, useful for them. But when you're in front of those consumers, they're going to be able to give them such a peak experience as far as 
not just here's a bunch of more data for you to kind of throw around your head and be confused by. You're, they're taking the data, but they're doing something that the online services don't do, which is translating the data. So I think I'm understanding that you're saying this uh, new initiative is literally making it so agents can be sitting in front of consumers, not just giving them uh, the various pieces of, you know, supposedly, you know, I mean, they're just not, it's very confusing from a consumer. You're saying, here's the information, you know, here are the sources for the information, and here's what it truly means to you. Am I putting these pieces together? Yeah, and you did it very eloquently, too. That's that's very well done. <laughs> You know, if you look at, okay, so you buy a car or if you lease, it could be different. But let's say your average, your, the average touch point for a car, car brand is three to four years. The opportunity they have to touch a consumer, a, a customer, is through the service experience. We don't have that in the real estate business. If you're buying a home or if you're moving every seven to eight years, you hit the transaction, and then we may never touch that customer again for, you know, seven to eight years. So what are some of the things that we can do to um, to connect, have a more, uh, have a stronger relationship from from the get-go? So like what you said, how can we have a better experience? How can we have a, a more meaningful relationship? And what are the things that we can do moving forward to be top of mind um, and really help help increase loyalty? I think that's the, the perhaps, and I'm 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 kind of going off a little bit here, but. How do we start bringing the metric of loyalty into the industry? It's got, I think it's got to evolve past the, 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 the magnet on the refrigerator. I think it has to. Well, it has to because, and I'll just say this from a coaching perspective, for a long time, and this kind of started in the 80s, um, the big movement was, and everyone was talking about centers of influence and past clients uh, marketing. And that's still a big topic. I mean, you ask agents, if you pull 100 agents, you know, what is it that your primary source of business? They're all attracted to that, mostly because there's not a lot of sales skills uh, involved in working your friends and family and your centers of influence past clients because they already like you, right? For the most part, they're going to give you a longer leash than, say, somebody that you're having to actually compete for the business, going after, yeah. say, for example, a for sale by owner with no other relationship. Um, yeah, but the problem with the centers of influence and past clients marketing is if there's so many people doing it, you end up having multiple agents who have the same folks on their centers of influence and past client list. And if they're all following an identical system, dropping off forget-me-not seeds or whatever in April, you know, then it becomes a little bit fake. And that's the type of thing when something becomes oversaturated is that there's two, it was a great idea back then, but over time it just becomes the same old, same old. But the ability to provide a truly high-level experience translating this data I definitely see what you're talking about. I can definitely see how that would give an agent a truly competitive advantage. So let's talk about uh, a CBX exchange. I mean, let's let's actually drill down on what this does. And so, from an agent's perspective, I assume it's very agent friendly because agents, as you know, hate hate having to learn anything complicated, right? <laughs> so, so this piece of technology, explain on a very practical belly to belly. Away, you know, in front of you know, agent at the kitchen table, using your analogy, how does this work? How would they present this? What is it? What's the value to the agent to the seller? Well, okay. So we, uh, when we first started concepting this and, and realized that we were going to move forward with building this internally, we did put together a pilot group of agents, and I think to your point, it was instrumental in having that type of feedback, and it will continue to be instrumental for us. Um, what we were attempting to do uh, simply was to provide our uh, our agents with a storytelling 
application. And I know that sounds very theoretical. No, it sounds um, fantastic because that's a powerful way to sell because people truly are engaged. It, it absolutely. And what, what we did not want to do was come up with something that says you need to use this or change what you're doing because I know that that's not um, that's probably not the the right approach. There are several different ways to do a listing presentation. There's probably not a right or wrong way to do it. What we simply wanted to do is enhance that experience and provide information that could actually elevate that that conversation. And we did it with version one in three different ways. Um, first and foremost, we, however an agent does a CMA today, that's fine. We, we did not create a CMA. We did not um, require them to use a, a particular CMA. What we did do is we provided a very flexible, open format pricing um, tool that allows them to plug in whatever information they would like to from a CMA perspective. Uh, one neat little thing that we did do uh, with our relationship with NAR is we used um, uh, their RPR product. They have a, a really wonderful automated valuation model. It's, a, it's called the, R, the RPR AVM. So as an option, purely as an option, and for those markets that have RPR data, um, we do bring in their RPR widget. And for those agents that are familiar with it or like it or, or, or use it, they can simply plug in the base price of the RPR, and then they can, they can add on to it. If they've already walked the property or talked to the potential seller, they can make adjustments based on, you know, the kitchen, based on the basement, based on the backyard, or, or lack of. Uh, it can go either way. So fundamentally, it allows them to, I think, capture the the, the listing price recommendation in a very eloquent way. Um, and then this, this, the last, the, the, really the, the meat of it is the last two aspects of it. It's, it's through public and proprietary data um, that we bring into the app. It allows them to pick and choose the story they want to tell around potential buyers. And, and this is, I think, one of the areas that is um, becoming really, really the most popular and the most feedback in terms of what we get from our agents. Um, we, we can take a look at, obviously, the demographics, um, the socioeconomic factors um, of, a, of, a, of a neighborhood of a zip code. We can also, from that information, we can take a look at the top three. Right now, we're pulling in the top three counties that feed buyers into a certain zip code. So we can take that same profile and then we can map it and, and give our agents the opportunity to look at potential areas to market the, the property um, that will line up with folks that are buying homes in that area. So we think that's, um, that's really neat. We do that through a lot of uh, different sources of data um, that we pull into the app. We also... Um, we also bring in from Experian uh, Simmons data, we also bring in um, media consumption by buyer profile. So what are, um, you know, in terms of the top three counties in which buyers are coming from, what type of media are they consuming? What's, what are some of the, the best ways to market to them? Maybe it's Facebook. You know, we all think Facebook, it, it's, uh, everybody uses Facebook, but do, are we using it um, the right way? Are we using it to advertise properties in the right way? Are we just throwing listings on our wall? So um, those are some of the really neat aspects of it. And then the last piece of it um, really has to do with market intelligence. Um, we have a lot of information um, that we can provide our agents in terms of activity or buyer activity in, the, in, in that particular zip code or neighborhood. We have our own proprietary lead management system, so we can see 
through not just Cobalt Banker listings, but through other REN network listings, we can see leads that are coming into a zip code. So we can have a sense of demand. That tells a story. Um, we can use sense, U.S. Census data um, to understand what's happening in that marketplace. Is it an economy that's, on the, on, that's growing or is it an economy that's receding? We can see the number of jobs in the largest employer in a particular marketplace. Now, you may say, well, these are all the things that we, we have access to today, and that may be true. Some agents may have access to a lot of this stuff today, but it probably takes them a half a week to a week to aggregate it all and then to put it into a presentation. Um, this saves them a tremendous amount of time, and it's dynamic. So once you have all this information, we allow you to pick and choose what information you'd like to tell for a particular property, and then we allow you to, to present it with uh, overlaying it on Google Maps and being able to then sit down and confidently explain to a potential seller how you came to that suggested, suggested price of the home. And if there's dialogue, if there's back and forth, if, there's, um, if, if your potential seller is adamant about the value of something, whether it be the wolf appliances in the kitchen or what have you, or the schools or the neighborhoods, you can actually have that conversation and use real-time data. It, 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 in some ways, it takes that, that, that tension off the agent and puts it on to real data that, that they can see, they can touch, and they can adjust with the agent's assistance, um, I think, to better drive, drive home um, how they landed on that price. So that's sort of the long elevator speech. It does those three things. It presents it on an iPad. They can print it out. They can... Um, they can dump JPEGs into a PowerPoint presentation. It's very flexible, and it gives them all the different ways or tools that they need um, and that they're comfortable with in, in presenting the home. Well, so keeping it very practical, um, knowing that a vast majority of our listeners are agents, this sounds right. to me like it's the ultimate – I mean, really, it's an a incredibly powerful widget to have with you on a listing presentation. This is going to be something, and you obviously designed it for presenting to sellers, but as far as a listing tool, again, keeping it practical, this is pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know if anyone else is doing anything like this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you can go get all this information from different sources, but being able to present this to a seller so they can kind of deep dive into why you're coming up with opinions on pricing, but also by knowing the demographic and sociographic trends and the employment trends, you can also help prepare the sellers for maybe future price reductions when you take the listing. I mean, again, um, agents, if you're wanting to know how to ultimately, and, and one of our aspects of our listing, I'm sorry, of our coaching program is we teach agents when on a listing appointment how to present certain USPs, um, you know, there all you the go. different things we teach in our coaching programs are really important, but this is a critical uh, USP because any more people are just so overwhelmed with all these different sources of data. So I think this, this sounds very, very fascinating. I, I can definitely see going back to how, you know, looking into the future, how this is going to be something that becomes an expectation that, um, from a consumer perspective that their agents are able to take all this information, are able to translate it for them in such a way that makes sense, and then show them. So the typical traditional agent will say, well, this is my opinion based on this, but there's nothing really to back it up. Not to say that agent's opinion wasn't spot on, but the reality of it is, is a lot of consumers are being trained now to expect more than just your opinion. And again, your opinion, agents, don't be confused here, is probably as accurate 
as um, you know, maybe the portal or maybe the, this uh, program that these uh, that CB has created. But the reality of it is, is that consumers won't be happy with that being your response. You're going to have to validate through action because that's how they've been trained on the internet. They're used to being re- used to doing their own homework. So I think it's fascinating. And Sean, in the time remaining, remaining, I'm curious. So if you had a crystal ball, which of course you don't, um, given your uh, very interesting background, what would you expect? Six to seven years from now, what what would you be? What do you anticipate? And we won't hold you to it. <laughs> well, we might, but we won't. Um, how will things be different? What will feel different? I, I heard you kind of. Um, I think we, you and I are kind of in agreement that there's probably going to be some room for um, the portals trying to, um, you know, send leads to agents on the listing side for referral fees. That is inevitable at some level. I'm sure that's happening now because there's so many of these new AVMs coming out, and all those are being created agents. These automated value uh, widgets, they're being all created because these guys are going to try to start getting sellers to go to them and, you know, obviously getting uh, pricing information on their house and then selling you guys those leads. That is going to be rolled out, I'm sure, mid-year. Uh, three or four different companies are going to be leading the, uh, the, you know, the attack on that. So that is coming. But beyond that, Sean, six or seven years from now, what's it look like? What's different? What are the things that we'll be talking about, um, you know, three years from now looking forward to? That's great. Um, I think you know, a couple of things are just coming off the top of my head. Um, I think predictive modeling, and we talk about farming and how farming's done today, and you kind of mentioned it a little earlier. Um, you know, when I look at CBX in terms of what we just launched and where we where we can go with this, and just the research that we did around a lot of the data that we can pull into an app like this, I think it's natural that we're going to start looking at um, advanced ways of doing um, predictive modeling that will help. Um, Obviously, it'll help agents, but then you start pulling in the, the brokers and the manager, the office managers. So I think that's that's something that um, is really exciting to me. I, I just I love that side of things. I think mobility. You know, we're already Tim. We're already seeing about well, any given month, we're over 50% of our traffic is from a mobile device, and I just think um, mobility frees up our agents. Um, to actually do what they do best and not be strapped behind a desk. So I, I think mobility is something that everybody's going to have to really get comfortable with. And with that comes a sense of responsibility. It's no longer acceptable. If we'll forget not responding to a lead. We still have a big issue in this industry with not even responding to leads. But let's at least respond to a lead within 15 minutes because that's the next generation's expectation. So I think that's a big, a big area of opportunity. And speaking of leads, you know, you know everybody – I, I, can't, I can't tell you, a day goes by that I don't have to sit in a meeting or talk to somebody about leads. And, again, I saw it in the auto industry. You know, if you look at all the leads in the real estate industry, we'd be selling 50 million homes a year, and we're not. We're selling 5 million. So we've got to get past this idea that more leads is better, because it, it's not true. All it does is waste people's time and energy and money. Um, there will always be window shoppers. Um, there will always be folks that want to just dream about the home, and that's great. At least from Coldwell Banker's perspective, I want to get as good as I can about identifying who's really in the market uh, and qualify that lead and make sure I connect that lead with the right agent so we can actually service that customer and, and, and sort of eliminate all of the noise. So those are kind of, I guess, those are the three buckets that, that I look at right now as we stand here today. I agree with everything you said. You said it great. And it is funny what you said. That is the number one thing we hear too. Oh, I need more leads. You do not need more leads. 
right. you know, the, in real estate, this is the blessing of this business. Unlike, you know, you and I have been pulling in the, your car experience. Uh, not everybody needs a car, um, period. Not everybody needs a car that frequently, but everybody always needs a place to live. And whether you're, you know, you're walking down the street in Manhattan and you're running across people everywhere you go that are in real estate. Now they're leasing, they're, they're wanting to buy, they're wanting to sell. That's the blessing of this business. So there really is no shortage of leads. And yeah, if someone could, I don't even, I mean, Sean, you brought up lead follow-up. How could we technologically evolve lead follow-up uh, given the mindset of agents? I mean, a cattle prod when you get, when you're, uh, you know, when you get a text with a new lead, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. The, some it, agents it, seem it, to get it and so many don't. Well, it, it's astonishing. And, uh, I mean, there's tactics. I, I, I'm not sure that that's what we want to talk about right now, but we've got to we've got to address that. That's absolutely a, a problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem, and that's the biggest complaint that folks have after they work with an agent is that hey, even if they are a successful transaction, you know, what did you like, dislike, dislike? Number one is always lack of communication, and uh, that is a huge problem. If we can come out, uh, if there's a technological way to leverage, uh, you know, some sort of do-it-for-me type widget for agents, that'd be great. But ultimately, Sean, it comes back to them being professional and having furiously fast lead follow-up, which we call it. You said 15 minutes. I think it's more like 60 seconds. Um, but I understand well, why you yeah. said 15 minutes. You're, you're trying to be more politically correct than me. I had lunch the other day with an employee who, is, who wants to, to sell as an agent, and they didn't respond to his text message for about two, uh, two days. Uh, so he's ready to get another agent. I mean, I was done. That was it. Done. Right. But yeah, it's a problem. Well, I mean, there, there could be a scoring system in place where leads come in and agents – I mean, there's, there's companies that are doing that. They judge agents based on their lead follow-up, and you know, consumers can see the agent's score and – decide who they're going to work with. I mean, who knows? But yeah, I get what you're saying. I've really enjoyed our time together. I've actually learned a lot. You've, I appreciate the fact um, that you bring an outside industry's experience to real estate. God knows we need it. We need some uh, forward thinkers like you. And I sincerely appreciate you being my co-host on the radio show today. It was a pleasure. Anytime. Look forward to it next time. Have a great uh, rest of the day and thank you very much. Very good. And everyone have a great weekend. We'll talk with you on Monday. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.